0: The message the Lord's put on my heart today is titled, What is Preaching? And I will be—I'll admit, I approach this message with some trepidation because I'm not that old and I don't want to be perceived as someone who's trying to teach people how to preach. So pray for me. Continue to. I know some of you have been praying already. I want to read you a definition to start with from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I'm reading from this one not because there's anything holy about antiquity. Things aren't better just because they're old. Some people think that and they're not. If something's better that's newer, use it. But his dictionary is one of the last ones and the first one to really rely on Scripture to help understand words. So when I'm quoting from Scripture, I I really like this one. He says, uh, preach as an intransitive verb um, means to pronounce. It can be a public discourse on a religious subject or from a text of Scripture. The word is usually applied to such discourses as are formed from a text of Scripture. This is the modern sense of preach. It can be uh, a discussion or a discourse on the gospel of salvation and an exhortation to repentance. It can be a discourse on evangelical truths or exhort to a belief of those truths and an acceptance of the terms of salvation. I love that. Not an acceptance of God, but an acceptance of the terms of salvation. The terms of salvation are that when you realize you are a sinner, you repent. Beautiful. As a transitive verb, preach means to proclaim or to publish in a public religious discourse. And he gives a couple examples from Scripture. What you hear in the ear, that preach you on the housetops. The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. And it can also mean to inculcate in public discourses. Do you all know what inculcate means? I don't use words like that much anymore. Anybody know? It's basically teach. But it's, it's, I think, a little stronger than teach. It's teach with the idea of training. We're losing that. This part of preaching is to teach. Part of the purpose of preaching is to train people to be disciples. I have great concerns about a doctrine or a gospel that all the focus is on getting people to convert and not to know what they're supposed to do after that. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Possibly my favorite text from Scripture concerning preaching, or one that I certainly use a lot, is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. If you want to turn there with me, we'll, we'll spend some time there. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech. "...or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." If somebody asked me, what is preaching? And I said, would you read a few Bible verses? These are the ones I would give them. Bible has a lot to say about preaching. But these capture that preaching is not to elevate a man. You know, I, I, it doesn't happen as much now, but I'm always uncomfortable if somebody compliments my preaching and in that compliment says, boy, I can tell you've been studying Makes me uncomfortable. Because the focus shouldn't be on study when you preach. I think study is important. Don't misunderstand me. If you preach, some preachers are blessed with a really good memory. And what people walk away from noticing is that the preacher never had to use his Bible. And rather than talking about what he preached, they talk about how good his memory is. I'm afraid of that. And God can use even illness or things you deal with. You know, my memory is not good enough to get up and preach without a Bible most of the time. And even sometimes I need some little note to to jog my memory of what God put in my heart because of some illness I've had. How foolish it is, and people in this area do that, to think that you can't be holy unless you preach in a certain style or fashion. And more important than that, that it's not preaching. I don't mean holy in the sense of elevated. I mean in the sense of used by God in that message. Paul identifies. I want to go through this. He says, my speech and my preaching. In other words, my conversation with you about Scripture and my public discourse with authority. What I'm doing right now is, is preaching. But we also have conversations on the side which would fall into what Paul called speech. Speech. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Do you know largely what seminaries are teaching today? I've read a lot of those, well, parts of a lot of those books on preaching. Little segments, a few pages is sometimes all I can stand. They're teaching people to proclaim a speech with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now don't say Brother Josh said he's against seminaries. I'm not. I'm not against learning. I'm not against education. I'm against people being trained in a formula that they think will cause God or people to respond. All that is is marketing. And preaching is much deeper and more powerful than that. Not with enticing words of man's wisdom. There are people who are such good orators that they can say something and make almost anybody believe it. There are people who, even though they aren't good speakers, people still believe them. Our last president was like that. This is not a political statement. He had an uncanny power of persuasion through his words. It would not have been the same if you read his speech on paper. He had a talent for making people believe that what he was saying was important. And I'm not suggesting that maybe some of what he said was important. But he had a particular talent to make people believe that what he said mattered. That is not what preaching is. I don't want you to believe what I'm saying if I'm particularly naturally persuasive. You need to believe what I'm saying because the Holy Spirit of God witnesses it to your heart. Not with enticing words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is demonstration of the Spirit? On almost the opposite end of what I just said, there are people who are such good speakers that people are intellectually persuaded in a powerful way or emotionally persuaded. On the other side of that, there are people who are such passionate speakers that they persuade some. But a demonstration of the Spirit is not the passion of the speaker. It's deeper than that. And the power that he's talking about is not a power of words. It's not a power of persuasion. It's not a power of speaking. It's the power of God. Yes, 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 yes. There's a reason for this. Paul says, the reason that I have intentionally purposed within my heart and mind to focus on Christ and His cross. Paul was a smart guy who knew multiple languages, trained in all the religious teachings. He could have sat around with people for hours and discussed complex theological ideas. And he chose, he determined purposefully to preach Jesus Christ, the simple truth of Christ. You know, it's hard to find, and I don't know that you will, Paul ever addressing premillennialism or some of those doctrines. He never addresses many doctrines that people get so, as Brother Bryson says, waddied up over. I love that. If it's not important, who cares? Now you can study these things in private for your own entertainment, your own illumination, but what we need to focus on in the assembly of God and in our lives is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I would go so as far as to say this. If a preacher preaches an entire 35 or 45 or hour long message and he didn't point you to Jesus, it's not preaching. There's times for teaching, but even the teaching points people to Jesus. This is the whole purpose of the gospel, Jesus Christ. The gospel, you are Gellion, is good news. And the only good news is Jesus. God is more majestic, wonderful, powerful, high and lifted up than we can even imagine. But in God alone, there's not good news. I've never said something like that before. I never thought about it like that. So I want you to think about if what I just said is true. In God alone, there's never good news, only in God. Think about it. Maybe not never, but the good news is in the Messiah. You know what? God made this place that's wonderful and and amazing, and I'm thankful that He did, but one day He's going to destroy it. That's not good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, made a way that you can escape eternal torment. Right. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is God. I'm not trying to split hairs of that. The reason that Paul determined to know, to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified, and not rely on man's wisdom. But the demonstration of the Spirit and of power is for this, verse 5. So that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why is that important? Because there's always going to be some smarter, better talking person come along and convince you intellectually if you'll listen, if you'll heed it, than the last smart person who convinced you of his belief. But truths that are founded in the rock of Jesus Christ and on the teachings of Scripture, they're unshakable. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's why there's times that we can discuss a a theological issue and come away and maybe in my own mind or heart I'll say, you know what? I, I can't... Explain to you in the English language with my words just how I know that that is true. But I know it deeper than I can explain. It doesn't mean you can't explain it, but it means the power of it and the assurance of it is deeper than logic. Some people think the Bible is not logical or the teachings of Scripture aren't logical. Truthfully, they are, truthfully, they're underneath logic, beneath it, under it, strong. They're the foundation of logic. And they don't have to be subjected to men's logic to be true. Men's logic is defective. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. There's a great danger. I'm going to get into some more of this message, but this is on my heart. There's a great danger today of doctrines that rely on um, intellectual pursuit of the character and quality of God, rather than the power of an experience with God. Brother Brad Hicks preached a message at the old Union Minister's School, I think it was in 2005 on Thursday night, called The Battle Before Us. And a lot of what he preached about was in the past, for a hundred years or so, fundamentalism was a great danger against the cause of Christ. And now not so much fundamentalism, but this idea, this resurgence um, that has a lot of people in the reform movement caught up in it, this idea of hyperintellectualism. That God has to somehow fit into your understanding of Him or His teachings. There are things that we must accept with faith, and God will show us and persuade us of that. Revelation of the Holy Spirit. But there's so many that are present, now, trying to serve the Lord faithfully and sincerely, and yet, if they can't understand it in their mind, they won't believe it. It's dangerous. If you want to listen to that message he preached, I would recommend it. The whole purpose of all of this is that your faith might not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the preaching. The word here that Paul uses for preaching... It's the Greek word kerugma. And Strong's defines it as that which is proclaimed by a herald or a public crier, a proclamation by a herald. In the New Testament, the message or proclamation of the heralds of God or Christ. Here's two examples of that. Matthew twelve forty one: The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Let's remember that story briefly because it embodies what preaching is. And I'm going to get into the elements of what I think preaching is, uh, most importantly. Jonah was given a message, a directive by God. He was told, go here and tell the people this. And when he finally did, he went through Nineveh and he preached, you have 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Repent. Now he said more than that brief sentence it's not recorded because there's not room to record it. But he was preaching the message God gave him in a public place. In Titus 1 verse 3, there's another example of this this Greek word being used. God hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Preaching, if it is done truly and by a man who's called by God, is a manifestation of the revealed will of God. It's not just somebody's ideas. It's not just a discussion or a public discourse of truth. It is, it should be, persuasive and powerful through the Spirit of God. Not just through our ideas. The word comes from another Greek word, keruso, and it this word i'm just give you a couple of the definitions it can be used to proclaim after the manner of a herald it's always used with a suggestion of formality gravity and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed there's a reason when you come into god's house there is a certain sense of seriousness in the message it's grave There's a scripture that says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We preach with an understanding and a mindset of the terror and the destruction that can come from God. And we preach, if we're true God called preachers, with an understanding that we have an obligation. You're standing before me hearing this message or listening to it later. And if I don't preach as carefully as I can what God has given me, I can be responsible for you. That's heavy and scary. Preaching is not a place for joking for no reason. Sometimes I preach, I'm apparently unintentionally funny because a lot of y'all laugh. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't like the pattern that some preachers think you have to get up and tell jokes for it to be preaching. It's dangerous. There's always a suggestion of formality and gravity and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. The authority you need to listen to right now is God. God. Not me. But God has put me in this place to tell you what he's put in my heart. So you need to listen. That There's that sense that we feel. It's also to publish and proclaim openly something which has been done. It's used of the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it. For example, made by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles, and by other Christian teachers. You notice all these definitions from Webster to Strong's to the this last definition I read... Preaching is done in public. Let me give you some examples that, that illuminate that. This is the word K. Russo, that I am reading, which is the word that is the foundation for the word Paul used. It derives from that. Matthew 3 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Publicly proclaiming the message God had given him. Matthew 4.17 From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The essence of Jesus' preaching was repent. The essence of John's preaching was repent. The Lamb of God is here. The essence of the... The apostles' preaching was repent. And they told people why they needed to repent. Matthew 9.35 Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. The gospel of the kingdom, when it's preached with the true power and authority of God, brings about healing of sickness and disease spiritual sickness and disease, metaphorically, but also, really, people get better when they hear the Word of God. Matthew ten seven, Jesus told His followers, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preaching all through Scripture has not only the idea of public proclamation, but the idea of traveling around while doing it. And in that sense, it may be good that we're meeting in a house and unsure of where we'll be meeting next month. The goal of a congregation is not to build a a set place where people can come and they never move from there and they never reach out to the community and they never talk to anybody outside the church. All through Scripture, we're supposed to go and proclaim. A church is commissioned by Jesus to do that. I'm not saying we're doing exactly what we should be or not, or any church is. I'm not criticizing any church. This verse is particularly powerful for what's in my heart today. Jesus says, Matthew ten twenty-seven: What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. This tells me, and I'll tell to any of my young preacher brethren here or listening, or somebody who thinks you might be called to preach, the best way to, to know what you should preach is to know God. And to get a message from Him. And He'll give it to you maybe in private. It might be in your private study and meditation with Him, but when you have it, you go preach it in public. The gospel call, I have to say this, is a, it's a call to proclaim actively and to go. And you know, I'm afraid that contemporary religion, which influences all of us, has replaced that active, dynamic, extroverted instruction from God with something academic, introspective, and introverted. Just think about maybe what I'm saying you'll agree with. We have a tendency to replace proclaim with something like meditate. As if the gospel were all about us and our own personal well-being. Don't we have a tendency to do that, even in this congregation? We listen to the Word of God preached by men that are called by Him, not just me, but others too. And then rather than taking that message and going out and proclaiming it to a lost and dying world, we have a tendency to meditate on it. We should meditate. There's a place for that. But preaching is about public proclamation. And it requires active effort. And that's one reason I appreciated so much Brother Jeremy's message from the Lord last week. One more example of how this word is used. Jesus, Luke 4.18, goes into the temple. It reads the word of God. and says, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised." That's Jesus, the perfect Son of God who says the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him and has anointed Him to enable Him to preach. And I'm going to explain that more in a moment. I said this scripture from Paul that I read earlier is maybe the best example of a discussion on how to preach, what we should preach, how to approach it. But maybe the best example of what preaching is is when John the Baptist is preaching, John one twenty nine. you can read there sometime if you want to. It says, The next day John sees Jesus coming unto them and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is He of whom I have said, After me comes a man which was preferred before me, for he was before me. Another way of translating that part is he, this man has come after me because, and he has surpassed me because he was before me. That's preaching. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know what the word be, behold means? Greek word to do. It means see, listen, look, pay attention to. It's like this. John the Baptist, if any of y'all are asleep, this will wake you up. Hey, look! Look at him! That's what behold means. It's not something introspective, academic, and detached. He says it to get your attention and says, look at Him. That's who I'm preaching about. That's the Lamb of God. Everything I've talked about is Him. And He says, He will and has surpassed me because He was before me. said he must, speaking of himself, decrease so that Jesus would increase. And that goes both ways. Jesus increases and we decrease. I know there's talk when when a, a preacher preaches about sometimes he'll say my ministry. And it's not always said with the wrong attitude. And I understand sometimes there's a place to say it. But I'm really careful about saying that. My ministry. Oh, there's no ministry without Jesus. I can't even preach without the Spirit of God. Anything that I build is faulty and founded on sand. What God builds is eternal. Not only in the heavens, where Jesus is building a place for us with hands that that we can't even imagine, but here in this life, when He builds something, it's eternal. I can't do that. I don't have a ministry without Him. Let me give you, with all that in mind, just some things that the Lord revealed to my heart. And I want to remind us of Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now that verse is often used, you've heard me say this, by churches when they need a building program or something, and they'll say, Without a vision, the people perish. We need a vision, we need a goal plan and and a a mission statement. And all that's well and good. But the scripture in Hebrew, it means this. Without a direct revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint and become lawless. People are always asking this question. I don't understand how church members can live like that. Name the sin that they're caught up in. You know how? They haven't heard lately a direct revelation from the Lord. And they have intentionally become lawless. Preaching leads to an understanding of what God expects from us. And not in a black and white legalistic sense, but in a sense of what does God really want? Will this glorify Him and please Him and lift Him up? And will it make me somebody that's in a better condition to be used by Him? We preach not just because it's good or because we were called to, but for a practical reason. Without a direct revelation from God, there's no hope. So what is preaching? I'm going to take a few minutes and go through some points that that I think are important in preaching. Before I do that, I should say preaching is only preaching if it is done by a God-called man. People who aren't called by God to preach can be good teachers. I know some women, and there's some in this church, who are so uh, powerful with God that I've jokingly said to them, you sure you're not a preacher? (laughs) But preaching is only preaching if it's done by a man that God called. This this message is not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. But I, uh, as I was thinking about this, thought back on when God called me. And I felt the need to, to read this. And I also have this impression in my heart, I don't know why, but young people, when you're trying to figure out what you need to do with your life, whatever God is calling you into, He'll show you. You get to the place where you really really want to know. And this is what this is about. This is a an entry from my journal in October 29th of 2005. And this one I was struggling with God calling me to preach. So bear with me a couple minutes. I want to read this to you. When God calls men to preach, he doesn't do it with words. For the call is heard deeper than words can penetrate. The burden becomes synonymous with the very essence of a man. Weighing him down, it consumes his thoughts and prayers. He not only witnesses this burden as a disinterested party, but he becomes the burden and the burden becomes him. It's something that can be stifled, It can be nearly smothered by nonsensical thinking. It can be buried underneath sin. However, the nagging question never leaves. Resurfacing at the most inopportune times, this question wears on a man's strength. A person can only exist so long in a whimsical state of blissfulness, and then the truth sets in. Even the most carnal accomplishments require depth of thought and application, and a man called by the voice of God to preach his word cannot skirt this duty for long. Never can he happily avoid it. He can only cower in his bliss until the next practical question comes about anything. How to succeed in school, how to find a good job, uh, how to become successful, how to win people to Christ. But even the grand status of success only offers hollow pleasures, unable even to cool the flame of this burden. And I'm of a mind to believe that this burden... Unlike the burden of conviction in a lost soul is one that never leaves, but only becomes more and more directed and focused with God's guidance and more bearable with his leadership. This was about my call. I said, yes, I'm fearful. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of where this burden may take me. Maybe that makes me a coward. But if the Lord can use adulterers and murderers and even a donkey, I suppose he can use someone who's afraid. I know that He will take those fears from me as soon as I'm willing to let Him have them. Isn't it more fearful not to surrender? The Bible tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When I think of this, all the fears and doubts and worries I pretend to crutch myself up on only pale in comparison to how scary it would be to try God's patience for too long. So I will surrender myself to His care, knowing that He'll be there with me no matter what may sell me. If I've ever been sure of anything, then I'm sure God's calling me to preach his gospel. And unfit and worthy, unworthy as I am, it would only be limiting his mighty power to say that he can't use someone like me. At this point, the only question the enemy even has left in his arsenal is, well, what if you're wrong? Well, enemy, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Too long have I struggled under the weight of this load, a load that the Lord will gladly help me bear. Too long have I been hampered by my fears. I will give in and let God help me eternities at stake here. What if someone goes to hell because of my fickle fears? I've wasted enough of God's time. The time has come. No, it's past time to share my call and proclaim God's good news to a dying world. My prayer is that I will get myself out of the way so that the Lord can do his work through my feeble efforts. My prayer is not to become a good preacher, but a fit vessel able to be used by the limitless power of God's Holy Spirit. My prayer is to become a man who's humble in all things, yet fears nothing but the mighty hand of the living God. It's still my prayer. To be used by God's power. I don't care anything about being a good preacher. I don't. I want to be a powerful preacher. And I don't care how polished that looks or how good people think it sounds. I want it to be power of God. So, that is how I felt when God called me to preach. And other preachers felt very similarly. That was inescapable. Jeremiah said it's a fire burning in his bones. He even talked about not wanting to preach, and said, how long? And the Lord said, basically forever, until you die. I don't know what God's calling some of y'all to do, some of you young people, uh, or maybe older people, or maybe God's dealing with you. But I want you to know it's worth surrendering to Him. So, let me go through some of these aspects. With the understanding that a preacher is called by God. There's no other way around it. Here's how I would define preaching in the context of this message. Preaching is when a God-called preacher proclaims or speaks a message inspired by God, derived from the written Word of God, and delivered under the inspiration or anointing of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of conveying revealed truth from God and with the ultimate goal of glorifying the Son of God. Some of you don't like a bunch of words. Maybe that's too wordy. I'm sorry. It's as concisely as I could define it. He must be called. He must be inspired. The preaching comes from the Word of God, or it's not preaching. Not pop psychology, not your own ideas. Oh, we may use those things and quote those things, but true preaching is established in the revealed Word of God in this book. And it is for the purpose of glorifying the Son of God and conveying revealed truth. Preaching can be either focused on repentance and salvation or on building up of the congregation and the body members. Paul told Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Not all preaching is evangelistic, but the purpose of preaching is evangelism. And maybe I'll explain that too. Preaching, think about this. This is not a definition or an academic idea. This is how I feel in my heart. That's what I pray God would help me get across today. Not, not some abstract academic discussion, but the power of God is what I feel. Somebody asked me recently, uh, tell me more about your job as a preacher and the congregation you've been entrusted with. What a question. And I, I told... Her, I said something like this because it was what was in my heart. I said, preaching is a continual emptying of myself. First emptying myself of all my own ideas, self-reliance, and things that I think I've figured out, and repenting of who I am and who I'm not. And then begging God to fill me with the mind of Christ in his heart, and then emptying that all out before the people. Preaching is a continual pouring out of yourself. I heard one preacher say, sometimes when, when the Spirit of God was really upon him, he would lose three or four pounds from one message. I wouldn't doubt it. continual emptying of ourselves now there are different types and purposes of preaching and what I'm talking about here is not the same as your style of delivery preaching can be for teaching and instruction, it can be for exhortation and encouragement it can be for discipline and correction those messages are never fun to preach, but they're necessary and it can be for evangelism now I've had more than one preacher say something like this to me But I'm not an evangelist. I'm just not wired that way. I'm going to say this carefully. If you're a preacher and you don't think you're wired as an evangelist, I'd make sure if you're really a preacher. God calls us to preach to evangelize the world primarily. And I understand a pastor's burden. I understand a burden to, to build up the congregation. But we build up the congregation so they can take the gospel to the world. It's not just so you can feel better. As much as I want all of you to be emotionally and spiritually healthy, the purpose of preaching is not just so we all feel better. There are different styles of delivery. Some people are very excitable in their preaching. Some people are very methodical. Some people have a very reasoned approach. Some people are very passionate. But Jeremy preached for us last week. He's very passionate. Walks all around. That's his style. Some people are very systematic. And I want you to realize, if you've never noticed it before, the preaching of God has nothing to do with the man's style of delivery. Some of the most powerful messages I've ever heard were from a man who never moved more than two inches from where he was standing and spoke without ever raising the volume of his voice. And I've seen people run around like crazy people, and it wasn't preaching. Some people mistakenly believe that some styles of delivery are more spiritual than others. We have this problem, especially in the South, that people think preaching is only preaching if it's extemporaneous, disorganized, and unprepared. And they probably don't know what extemporaneous means. It means on the spot, with no thought given ahead of time, no preparation. There are times, no doubt, that God will not give you a message until you're there. I've had that happen. And I'm not going to make up something to preach when He won't give me a message. And so there have been times until I stood up behind the, the book board, I wasn't sure what direction to go. But that shouldn't be the default. The default should be trying to know God better, thinking prayerfully ahead of time to see what He wants the people to hear. It's not holy to be disorganized. And God's not impressed with it. There are a lot of other things that people think are a style that is necessary for preaching that we could all talk about, but I feel the need to to move on and just say, it's not the style, it's the power of the message that makes preaching. There's different occasions and opportunities for preaching. And I would say to this, you should know your audience. But this should not change the content of the message. But it might affect your style of delivery. The way I would deliver the message would be very different on a college campus in flip-flops and shorts than it is this morning in a suit and tie. But the content is exactly the same. We must know the burden God has given us. And we need to know ourselves to be able to preach. There's one subject. Preaching is always one subject. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's all about Jesus and what God has shown us through Him. If somebody asked me, and I'm not, ai guess, experienced enough that that people would ask me this but I've asked other preachers what's the best way to prepare or study or approach a message you know what i would say instead of something i would leave academic things all completely out of it i don't think i would mention a study i'd say something like this if somebody some young preacher came up to me and said how should i prepare i'd say get to know god Be amazed by Him. Bring the people something that God has shown you in your time with Him. They don't need your own thoughts and ideas. I'm saying that to myself too. Y'all are not going to get spiritual food if it's some neat idea I came up with. It needs to be a revelation from God. And you can tell the difference. Especially you here can tell the difference. I know that. I would tell a young preacher, don't worry about which category your preaching falls into or what type of message it is or what type of preacher you are. Don't worry about it. Just preach. Preach the revelation of God through His Spirit. This is something I have to remind myself of often. Don't worry about your own weakness, but don't overemphasize it either. Your weakness isn't what makes you an effective preacher. I would say too, don't worry about your own strength. But don't over rely on it either. Your strength or your capability isn't what makes you an effective preacher. It's only the power of God. I want to close by just mentioning this. I've heard messages that in the first minute did more for me to... Create a Holy Spirit inspired awe of God in that one minute than some 45 minute or hour long messages have done through the whole discourse. I've heard a couple messages I can think of where the preacher got up and just said maybe a sentence and the power of God fell. That's what we need. There's something in preaching that has to be transformational, transcendent. At the minister's school last week, Brother Reynolds taught a lesson on Romans that was so spiritually powerful. Brother Brad and I looked at each other at about the same time and said, I feel like I've never read that book before. And the thing that we were both amazed by as we talked about it was it wasn't that academically impressive, his lesson. It wasn't some, some really well-crafted, complicated... He didn't even talk about the really complicated theological issues. What stuck out to me and to him both and to others I've talked to was that this lesson came from a man who'd been trying to preach God's Word for more than 50 years and who got a revelation from God about it. That's what preaching is. And that's why it was so powerful. I want to tell you maybe the most powerful thing to me from that message. And this will um, illustrate what I'm trying to talk about today. Bro Reynolds pointed out that in the passage where Paul says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word for transformed is metamorpho. And it's the same word that is used of Jesus being transfigured on the mount. Isn't that neat? That's something all the times I've read Romans I never considered, never realized. That's why I'm talking about the Spirit of God has to illuminate these things. And then he said the significance in that is, there's another word, metaschematizo, something like that. It's where we get a schematic, similar to that. That's the word that is going to be when God transforms our bodies into the heavenly body. It's permanent. He creates a new design when He gives us our heavenly body. But while we're in this earth, the transformational power of God is always temporary. And that made me understand sanctification on a level that I never have in my whole life. That one word. That Jesus was transfigured. Jesus, the Holy One of God, transfigured. He was in that resplendent heavenly state momentarily. Just like Moses, when he came down from the mountain in the presence of God for 40 days was glowing, but it didn't last. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what preaching does. And it taught me, and I want to leave this thought with you all here, that that. Um, sanctification, we think you know we're supposed to get better and better and better and God can use us more and more. You know what the problem with that is? People get better and better and better and they still fall. I just preached not long ago about King David falling at the best time of his life. Your sanctification will never bring you to a place that you're not still helplessly and utterly dependent on God. And if it does, watch out. What we need as God's people, as His preachers, as His congregations, is a transfiguring experience with Him. The Lord has been with me in this message, but I'll go into my life tomorrow, the rest of the week, and He may not be as present with me as He is right now. That's okay. Because those times, He comes when you really need Him. And that's what we need. Let me say this. If you know the Lord, God bless you, keep you and teach you and help you and humble you. If you don't know Him yet, you can. You can seek Him. Behold the Lamb of God. Oh, you'll know when God shows you who He is. You have to go with Him, to Him in humility, and yield your life to Him. That's what it takes to be saved. And I want you to know that here or listening. Seek the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening.